Good to see all of you here this morning. Glad that we get some folks back that we haven't seen in a while. It's nice to see you here and hope that that will be, continue to be the case. Before we get into the lesson this morning, just some brief announcements. want to remind everybody again, life groups this afternoon. I know that everybody is looking forward to getting together on that. It's been a good time so far. I pray that that continues to be the case as we meet in each other's homes, just getting to know each other a little better in a more intimate setting. Uh, also, Austin had mentioned to me this morning that the youth, uh, the youth, the young adult retreat is going to be postponed. Uh, there'll be more news coming out about that later, but just know that that's been postponed. And I know that everyone that is interested has all of these questions about what's going on on October 23rd. We, the information's coming out. There's a bunch in the bulletin, uh, and it's there for you to read and learn. If you have any questions, see Joey. It's his turn. Goodness. No, but you can see either me or Joey on it. We'll answer any questions that you might have if we can. But final little bit of news, exciting. Uh, the family here at Enterprise Boulevard continues to grow. People continue to see the efforts that, are, that we're putting in into the community and want to align themselves with that work. And so this morning, Don and Paula Derwin have said that they are wanting to identify with the work here at Boulevard. If you haven't had a chance to shake Don's hand and talk with Paula and give her a hug, do so. They are fantastic people, and I'm not just saying that because they like me. <laughs> they are really good folks, so get to know them. Uh, imagine you guys are going to get plugged in somewhere and get put to work, so just be, be prepared for that. The elders don't like it when somebody's not doing something, and so they'll get you plugged in in various ways. There is no PowerPoint this morning, guys, because we find ourselves in Mark chapter 13, and it's difficult to come up with PowerPoints when you're going to talk about words like apocalypse uh, and everything else. Usually the images that you find are disturbing uh, to young and old, and so we're just going to go old school this morning with no PowerPoint and hope that I can keep your attention without using pictures. <laughs> I'm glad you guys thought that was funny. I really didn't write that as a joke. I would encourage you, as we're looking at the book of Mark and following the steps of Jesus as he's blazing the trail for us, that you continue to read along with me as we go through it. Next week will be Mark chapter 14. As we read through it, we're almost done with looking at the path that Jesus is leading us on in Mark's gospel. But as we talk about Mark chapter 13, I want to get a few things out of the way first. And the first is, raise your hand if you are easily confused. All right. Now, whether you want to admit it or not, I'm glad that some of us are at least honest enough to admit that we're easily confused. All of us, in some way, shape, or form, are going to be easily confused about something, okay? Uh, and if you doubt that, just go and talk to someone who has interests other than your own and just listen to them for about 10 minutes, and you'll start to find out why they have that interest and why you don't and how confusing it could be to try and understand their mindset on what's going on. But I think a lot of it comes from, and it's an honest confusion, and that's what's kind of fascinating to me. It's an honest confusion because we really do want to understand things. I think God has built that into us. We have a natural curiosity where we're just going to want to understand what we're hearing, what we're seeing, what we're reading. It doesn't matter. We're going to want to try and figure this thing out. But what happens, at least with me, and I know at least two of you 
are in the same category with me. What happens when we're trying to understand things is we overthink what we're trying to understand. Anybody do that? Where, where you hit a problem, yep, I knew at least two of you. Natalie, I'm shocked that you would raise your hand on that. <laughs> but we overthink these things. And you know what happens when you start overthinking. You take it all the way to what you think is its logical conclusion, and you run into problems when you begin to overthink. And what happens is overthinking usually comes in two forms, where you're going to overthink on the past and ruminate on the past and how things have happened in the past, or you're going to try and take it so far out into the future that you think that you're a modern-day Nostradamus and you can figure all of this out, okay? But there's a problem with this. Neither one of them is problem-solving, okay? Uh, you're not actually solving a problem when you're overthinking it because what you're doing in overthinking is dwelling on the problem. But what we're called to do when we're faced with challenges, faced with problems, is actually figure out what the solution is. Okay? That's where Jesus takes us in Mark chapter 13. And Mark chapter 13 provides with us an opportunity to decide what we're going to do. Which way we're going to choose on this? Are we going to overthink it? Or are we going to try to find a solution to the problem that Jesus is presenting in this conversation that he's having? And I think a lot of people, and if you've read any commentaries on Mark chapter 13 and chapters like this, a lot of people do the first. They completely overthink it. And they take us in ways, and, and usually it has to do with you know, different theories and different things that are going to go there, and they're going to take us on a path that takes us far beyond what I believe Jesus is actually telling us in this chapter. And forget everything. Because we approach this chapter as if Jesus is answering our questions. And Jesus isn't answering our questions. Jesus is answering the disciples' questions. Okay? And we need to pay attention to that. Because the minute that we approach this text and say, well, Jesus is obviously answering my question, we're going to run into trouble. And we're going to misapply, we're going to misunderstand exactly what Jesus is talking about through all of this. And then what we will come to, as many commentators believe, that Jesus' statements are fulfilled in AD 70. But, they will say, the most important aspects of his prophecy are not yet fulfilled. And now we've got to start looking to the future and figuring out when all of this stuff is going to be happening. But understand... Jesus is not, hear me clearly, Jesus is not addressing the concerns of a future Gentile church impatient for his return. I'll say it again. Jesus is not addressing the concerns of a future Gentile church that is impatient for his return or questioning how the second coming is going to take place. The minute that we start making application on those questions is the minute that we apply our bias and our ideas to the text and we become adherents to premillennialism or other ideas about the end times. We need to look at what Jesus is saying in context, in the historical context. And so we're going to read together the whole chapter. Okay? 
And I want, what I want us to do, as difficult as it is, and I know it's difficult because I have to do it every time I sit down with the scriptures. What I want us to do is take all of our preconceived ideas, I want you to package them up real quick, put them in a box, and put that box about 700 miles away from you. Get, put aside the preconceived ideas. When you feel them come up while we're reading, squash them. Let's approach the text with honest and new eyes. Okay? Read, follow along with me. As he was going out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, behold, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left upon another which will not be torn down. As he was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew were questioning him privately. And they asked, tell us, when will these things be? What will be the sign when all these things are going to be fulfilled? And Jesus began to say to them, see to it that no one misleads you. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and will mislead many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be frightened. Those things must take place. That but that is not yet the end, excuse me. For nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will also be famines. These things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you to the courts, and you will be flogged in the synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them. The gospel must first be preached to all the nations." When they arrest you and hand you over, do not worry beforehand about what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but it is the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child, and children will rise up against his parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by all because of my name, but the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where it should not be, let the reader understand, then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. The one who is on the housetop must not go down or go in to get anything out of his house, and the one who is in the field must not turn back to get his coat. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. But pray that it may not happen in the winter. For those days will be a time of tribulation such as has not occurred since the beginning of the creation which God created until now and never will. Unless the Lord had shortened those days, no life would have been saved, but for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, behold, here is the Christ, or behold, he is there, do not believe him. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show signs and wonders in order to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But take heed. Behold, I have told you everything in advance. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers that are in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send forth the angels and will gather together his elect from the four winds from the farthest end of the earth to the farthest end of heaven. Now learn the parable from the fig tree which, by the way, we'll pause here for a second. The parable of the fig tree was the one that Jesus had cursed when he had come into Jerusalem, right? And said that that tree would no longer bear fruit. And then it was a day or so later that the apostles look at him and say, Master, look, the tree which you cursed, it's dead. That's the parable he's referring to here, okay? 
Now learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. Even so, you too, when you see these things happening, recognize that he is near, right at the door. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But of that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. Take heed, keep on the alert, for you do not know when the appointed time will come. It is like a man on a journey who, upon leaving his house and putting his slaves in charge, assigning to each one his task, also commanded the doorkeeper to stay on the alert. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening, at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning in case he should come suddenly and find you asleep. What I say to you, I say to all, be on the alert. Okay, one of the things that we tend to do with the text like this, or a section of scripture like this, is we begin to overthink the text. Because it's written to us in a language that is difficult to understand, it's called apocalyptic language, or apocalyptic in nature. And we approach those types of texts in the same way that we do Daniel or Revelation, because when we hear the word apocalypse, what do we think? End times. Do you guys know that that's not what apocalyptic language actually is? It's just cryptic. It's a mystery, okay? It's told in in certain ways to bring about emotional reactions uh, to what the story is doing. And so like I say, we approach texts like this, like we do the text in Daniel or the text in Revelation, But unfortunately, the way we usually try to approach them is to try and find the meaning in every little detail. Anybody ever been guilty of that? Okay. Why do we do that? Why do we try to find out the information on every little detail in those types of visions and and language? Because we want to know what's coming in the future. We're going to map it out. We're going to figure it all out because here's the deal. And it's the height of pride and ego, by the way, when we say we're going to be the ones to figure this out once we figure out all of the details on this. But what did Jesus say in this? No one's going to know this. No one's going to know when this is going to figure out. But we look at Jesus and say, I'm smarter than you, Lord. I can figure it out. Don't we? When we try to map out every single little detail on it, we're, we're saying to Jesus, yeah, I know you said I wouldn't be able to figure it out, but I'm not that dumb. We want to try and figure out what the future holds so we know, and this is the deal, we want to know what the future holds so we know how we're supposed to be behaving at that given moment. Right? I'd like for us to pay attention to just a few things in the text. First, verse four. Tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign when all these things are going to be fulfilled. The entire chapter is in reference to that question. And that question is in reference to Jesus talking about when the temple will be destroyed. period. Okay? Second one, verse 30. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Guys, when Jesus says, 
all of this is going to happen while this generation is living, is he telling the truth? I noticed a couple of you guys are sitting there going, hmm. The answer to that question is, yes. He's telling the truth. Okay, so we need to pay attention to those two things if we're trying to figure out what Jesus is talking about here in this chapter. The things that Jesus is describing are horrible, okay? They're terrible things, and these things are going to take place. Yeah, wars, famine, natural disasters, family betrayal, arrests, beatings, all of these things are terrible, terrible, horrible things. But here's what Jesus is driving them to, okay? Because understand, for Jewish life, it was completely surrounded. Everything had to do with the temple. And what happens when your entire world is taken away? What do you do then? How do you act? What's your behavior supposed to be when the entire center of your world is completely destroyed? Jesus is telling them, he's telling the disciples and in turn telling us, there's going to be choices that you're going to have to make. In these instances, your brother betrays you. What do you do? Your kids turn you over to the authorities. What do you do? They beat you in the street because you're my disciple. What do you do? The entire chapter all comes down to the choices that a person will make during these times. It's in those moments that they're going to have to acknowledge, A, this is the reality of life, this, things really are this bad, and B, do I choose escapism? And, and trust me, there's all sorts of forms we can take on escapism, right? You guys know what I'm talking about when I say escapism? Choosing to dumb, not dumb, or dull reality so that we don't actually have to face it. Now that could be alcohol, that could be drug use, that could be pornography, that could be anything that we want to take into our lives that is going to distract us from what's actually going on. And really all escapism is, is a feeding of the flesh. Okay, and we'll do, we can make that choice when we look at the world and we go, oh man, this world is a hot mess. There's all sorts of nastiness going on over there. So you know what I'm going to do? Instead of actually acknowledging the reality of it, I'm going to escape from it. But Jesus' point through all of this is there is no escape from the reality of horrible things. But you can choose to escape. You can choose escapism uh, in the way that you're going to handle it, or you can choose activism. You can choose to be active for the Lord. Right? When you go through this chapter, notice, it's all about choice. Verse 5. See that no one misleads you. Verse 9, be on your guard. Verse, verse 11, don't worry about what you're going to have to say. Choose that. Verse 13, endure to the end. You'll be saved. Verse 18, pray. Verse 23, take heed. I've told you everything in advance. Verse 29, when you see these things happening, take heed. Verse 33, be on the alert. Verse 35, be on the alert. Verse 37, be on the alert. What is Jesus saying here, guys? Don't bury your head in the sand. Be my people. 
Be who I have called you to be in this world. Stop focusing on the future and live now. Live for God's glory now. Live for his purposes now. Because here's the deal. If we can't focus on how God is calling us to live right now, there is no future glory. There's nothing there for us. The disciples are being cautioned that no matter what is going on in this world, it does not change the fact of who you have been called to be. We could summarize Mark chapter 13 very simply by saying that he has told you, O oh man, what is right. Do justice. Love kindness. Walk humbly before your God. No matter what is going on. And I, I find that interesting because here's the reality, guys. The reality in, in Mark 13 is, is that Jesus is answering the disciples' very specific question, and in that answer, we see the path he's leading us down. And it's a path of activity. It's not, it's, it's not a path of escapism, that we're supposed to be the person who actively is seeking God's purpose in our lives no matter the circumstances. And how many times do we find ourselves challenged with that where we're like, I'm going to be God's man or I'm going to be God's woman and I'm going to do this. And then we come into a situation or a circumstance where we're like, whoa, this is really kind of a horrible thing that's going on here. I I'm just going to back out of it. That, that we, in our minds, whether we're courageous enough to actually confess it by mouth, in our minds we say, I'm God's man or I'm God's woman as long as I'm comfortable in a scenario. And, and then we make the next connection and say, well, my obedience is, de is dependent upon scenarios and things going on in the world around me. You got to know that circumstances don't dictate obedience. It's our heart and our faith that dictate obedience. What's going on around us has nothing to do with what we're supposed to be. And boy, do we not see Jesus enduring? Guys, we're not that far from the end of Mark's gospel. Do you know what's coming? You guys know what's coming in Jesus' life here in the next few chapters? Did Jesus escape? In fact, and we'll talk about this more, he didn't even choose escapism in any of its forms. Because remember when he's hanging on the cross and they try and give him the drink and he's like, no, 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 because I don't want the pain dulled? That he faced reality through all of it? That for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. These disciples are going to see some horrible things. 
when Titus rolls into Jerusalem with the Roman army and he surrounds that city and lays siege to it, there are going to be terrible things that happen. But did you also know that historians tell us that not a single Christian life was lost in the siege of Jerusalem? Because they took the warnings of Jesus, they were alert, they were active, and they did not suffer the judgment that came upon Jerusalem through the Roman army. I'll take your breath away, doesn't it, bud? We're not called to bury our heads in the sand, guys. And we live in a world that is filled with horrible things, with terrible things. Still meant to live according to the reality that Jesus puts in front of us. And the reality that Jesus puts in front of us, as those who have confessed him as Lord and baptized for the forgiveness of his sins, the reality of that life is that he has called us to be salt and light in this world, to be his agents and ambassadors for change in the hearts and souls of those who are lost in darkness. Always ready for his return. Always. And thankful for the blood that he shed on our behalf. Hank's going to lead us in a song. We're going to stand and we're going to sing that song. And we're going to be thankful for what God has done for us. And if you've not become a Christian this morning, this is the time, this is another opportunity for you to make that confession. To stand before all of these people with have 99 eyeballs looking right back at you and confess him as Lord and Savior and put him on in baptism, raise this new creature and add it to the kingdom. This time is you that God has allowed that to happen. But it's also a time for us as his people to reflect and see where we're at in the grand scheme of things in our service. Are you living with your head in the sand? When things get difficult, do you choose escapism? In any of its forms, guys, because any of the forms are going to dull us to the reality and we need to get out of that. And do we have the faith to acknowledge that when we do face the reality of terrible things or challenges or difficulties in our lives, that God actually has the power to see us through it? That he's put this group of believers together in this place at this time to help us through it? But we've got to acknowledge our weaknesses. We've got to make those confessions. We have to make those confessions to him, the Father, and also to each other so we know how to be for each other who God has called us to be. And if we can help you with anything this morning, the elders are ready, willing, and able to counsel, to pray, to lead when you make those things known by coming forward while we stand and sing.